podcast. I'm your host, AJ. And today we have uh, something we have never done before in this uh, podcast. Uh, our podcast is pretty new and we have never tackled a Q&A. So in this episode, we would like to answer some of the questions that we have been getting since we started this podcast. And we will try our best to answer just, you know, some questions that are very common in what people are asking us about their money, about their kids, and about in life insurance. So in this episode, we would like to tackle uh, four questions. Number one, we, would we, we have a lot of questions about Roth IRA for minors. We would dive deep into that. The next question is about the differences between an UTMA and a 529. We would also explain a little bit about life insurance term versus whole life insurance. And last but not least, we would answer the question of what do you do with your 401k when you leave a job? And to help me with that, I have my co-host here, Pa. Pa, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. How about yourself? Man, it's exciting. Uh, looks like spring is a beautiful day today. And it looks like spring. And what's more exciting for, for me is the kids are finally getting to play sports. Son has a baseball practice, so he's uh, in the little league and also playing select league. And my older daughter, she's just excited about playing softball again. And the little one, for the first time, is doing t-ball. Exciting stuff to be a parent, man. Uh, last year was pretty bummed because we signed them up and we were not able to play any sports. Uh, they did have a little practice, but right now, Man, we just hope that there's some activity for the kids to do. And I'm excited about that. How about you? Well, first of all, you know, I would just like to say that I know you guys are going to have your hands full having three kids playing sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, I do have two and I know how it is, you know, so I mean, not but only, it's, it's, it, not, it is, it is exciting also. Yeah. Not only having three kids playing sports, but having my son, for example, playing multiple sports. So he's in two, mm. two baseball leagues. One is uh, the little league and the other one is a select league, which is a little bit more competitive. And he also plays bas basketball. I don't think he's as excited about baseball anymore. He used to be very excited about it, but now it's more of basketball. And <laughs> we'll see. Sometimes, you know, when, when, they, when there's practice or games at the same time, we, me and my wife have to split up. You say, you go over yes. there, take this kid. I'll take this other kid. We'll meet back over here. You know, just try to coordinate all this stuff. And yeah, our definitely. calendar too, our Google calendar is usually very full with practice and games. But, um, you know, it's exciting too. It's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, the kids do deserve it, though, because they've been sitting for a year now, and that's really not good for them. It's just cool that they can at least go and play these sports, get to see their friends again, since most of them haven't been to a to a physical school since last year. So I think this is uh, really exciting, you know, for them. And I'm just happy, you know, for your kids that, you know, they get to go outside. And his kid is pretty good at basketball. 
Mohammed <laughs> is, is, is really good. You know, you guys should see him play. And you can check out their um, YouTube channel. You will see him hit a half court shot, which was really, really amazing. So, yeah, I think I he mean, hit that um, half court yeah. shot at fourth grade uh, when he was in fourth grade. grade. How about that? And yeah. that was what last year oh, wait or a year before I, last? Maybe it was fifth grade. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, okay. I think that was that was last season, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that was uh, well. Last year we, they have not. So he's in sixth grade now. Last year they didn't oh, okay. have any sports. So I right. So that was. I think it was the last. one before. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing shot, man. Yeah. So, they need to show that on Sports Center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, the weekend has been just the same for me. It's been a very very short weekend, uh, as you know. We both had to go to work this weekend. Um, because of a new computer system that we had to um, get ready for at our job. So other than that, I didn't do anything else, you know, this weekend for the most part, just went to the gym, you know, with the family and get some workout and that's about it. So let's dive into the episode real quick. I feel like uh, these are some of the um, questions that we've been getting asked a lot. And let's try to tackle these questions on here on the podcast. I know you have had a lot of people email you or call you or text you and ask certain questions. And it kind of feels like you're more of a financial coach now uh, to a lot of people. They, they do definitely rely on your expertise and your uh, knowledge of personal finance. But we've put a couple of, a few of those questions together so that we can just share these questions and answer them here on the podcast for our audience. Why don't we just talk about the Roth IRA for minors, Roth, Roth IRA for kids? How do we look at that? Is that possible? And if it is, how do we uh, uh, contribute for, uh, to Roth IRA for kids? As you know, the Roth IRA is one of the most uh, beneficial accounts that anybody can have, you know, whether it's a child or an adult. But for a child to have a Roth IRA or for anybody to have a Roth IRA, you have to have an income. They can have different kind of jobs. Um, it really doesn't matter as long as, you know, it is considered a job and they're getting paid for it. They can always open a Roth IRA. It is preferable to a traditional IRA because of the tax benefits. But for the most part, I mean, it, it's something that the parent has to set it up for the for the child. I mean, it's one of those those ones that they uh, consider custodial account. So the parent has to set it up for the child, and then um, they can contribute some of their own income in there. So that's just a pretty basic definition of what a Roth IRA is for for a minor. Uh, most kids under the age of ten, or actually under the age of five would probably not qualify to have a Roth IRA because they're not earning any income unless they are like a supermodel or a diaper commercial or, you know, actress, you know, those kind of uh, really gifted and uh, lucky kids to, uh, to have a high income uh, or to earn any income at that early age in their life. But unless they are earning income, they would not be qualified to... Uh, contribute to a Roth. But if they do earn income, like maybe if they are like 10 and you have your own personal business and they're able to work in the business as a bookkeeper or 
if you have some rental properties and they're working in that rental property uh, business, that you pay them a certain amount of money and you also have a W-2 issued to them, even though they are kids. Now they can contribute to a Roth IRA because they have earned income and they have the W-2 to prove it. They can only contribute up to the max of that year. For this year, it's $6,000 or up to the max of what they earned. So if they earned $1,000, they can contribute $1,000, not $6,000. But if they earned $10,000, they can contribute $6,000 to a Roth IRA. And that's, that's basically the gist of a Roth IRA for, uh, for a kid. They have to have earned income and it's, it would be nice to have a W-2 to, pay, uh, to show for it. And they can contribute up to the limit of the Roth IRA or the max of what they earn in that year. The nice thing part about kids having a Roth IRA, if, let's say a kid is 10 years old and they contribute $6,000. Can you imagine how much money that would be when that kid is 60? That $6,000 have 50 years to grow. Or maybe yes. if that, when that kid is 70, when, when you leave that $6,000 in the market for 60 years, that's a lot of money and that's tax free. Now, that is a powerful, powerful account to have. And that is just leaving that $6,000 there. What if they keep contributing money towards that $6,000 until they turn 59 and a half? I mean, we're talking about some serious, serious money. But another thing about it also, if they are 12 years old now and they start contributing, $6,000 a year. I mean, they can go to a point that they can stop. Let's say they can stop at 40, you know, not contribute anymore because they've been contributing from the age of 12 until they are 40 now. Yep, That's about 28 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine them contributing $6,000 for 28 years and then leave it there from the age of 40 until 59 and a half? That will also be a lot of money also. So, I mean, having that Roth IRA for your child Provided that he has a earned income, it's very, very advantageous. So um, if you have a child, if you have your own personal business at home or outside the home, you can always use your, 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 your child to at least do something towards your job or whatever you are doing and just hire them, you know, as an employee and go ahead and pay them. And then they can use that earned income to be able to start investing at a very early age. And don't forget, it's tax-free money. It is. That's the power. That's the power. You got this money that's been sitting there since they were 12, and they've been contributing to it till they are 40, and then you leave it there till they're 59 and a half. We're talking about mm -hmm. next generation five power. Tax-free money, next generation five, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Unless you want to add something to it, I would uh, like to move on to the next question if you don't, um, if you don't have anything else to add. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, this is how people build wealth. It's, it's not rocket science. It's not that some families have some kind of privilege over you or anything like that. It only starts with one person from every family. That one person decides that I want to change my family tree. And these are some of the steps that they take to change their family trees. And that's why you see most 
families today are very, very wealthy, but these are just some of the steps that they take. It's not just the Roth IRA only, but there are so many other different financial products out there that you can start you know, utilizing to be able to change your family tree. Absolutely. And I believe that our audience are very smart because if you're listening to this uh, podcast, you're definitely tuned in to your money. And that's absolutely a great way to start building wealth. Uh, the next question, let's move on real quick, is I believe somebody asked you this question, Pa. They mm-hmm. came into some stimulus money and they were thinking about investing that stimulus money in a 529 for their kid or uh, an Atma account for their kid. And mm-hmm. the Atma stands for Uniform Transfers to Minus Act account. What are the differences between those well, some of the key differences between the uh, 529 plans and the Odma, which is also a custodial account, just like I said before with the um, Roth IRA, custodial accounts are the uh, accounts that you, the parent, are in control of until the child reaches uh, whatever age to be able to control that account. So one of the differences is just the tax advantage uh, savings that you have. 529 plan is a tax advantage um, savings plan that the money in there grows tax-free. And if you use it for qualified educational expense, then you wouldn't have to pay any taxes on it. And that is one of the differences between the uh, 529 and the uh, UTMA account and the ownership and control of the account also. 529 is mainly for educational purposes only. And the child doesn't own it. You, the parent, own that account. You can use it to pay for your child's education. If for some reason your child doesn't need it because they have a scholarship or they decide that they don't want to go to college, that money is still in your name. And if you have another child that can use it, it is allowed for them to use it. But for the custodial account, the UTMA, you open that for it particular child, that child is going to get that money when they reach 18 or 21, depending on the state that you live in. So those are two of the main differences between those two accounts. With regards to the ownership, when this becomes the ownership of the account becomes a key is um, if this child is going to apply for FAFSA scholarship or grants, the ownership matters at that point because the 529, like you said, Par is an account in the parent's name and the parent owns it and just the child is the beneficiary and the qualified expenses are a lot, uh, room and board, books, tuition, all that stuff are qualified and they can withdraw that money and use it for those expenses tax-free. But when you're signing up for FAFSA or scholarship, they look at the parents' assets, and they also look at the child's assets. So that's where the Atma comes in, because once you, the, once the child is 18, he owns the Atma. That is his asset, his or her asset. And the child's asset count towards the FAFSA about 20%, whilst the parent's assets count about 5%. So that's a big, about 55 percent that's the big difference so that gives the edge to the 529 account because it's still in the parents asset column and also you dive 
into the tax advantage, which the Atma is just a taxable. When you withdraw it, you pay taxes on it. Whilst the 529, when you use it for qualified expenses like tuition, books, room and board, they are qualified expenses and they're tax-free. So that's the basic difference between the Atma versus the 529 plan. Yeah, definitely. So just to sum it up, if your goal is to invest for your child's education, the best plan to use is the 529. That's what me and AJ use for our kids. And if you are thinking about transferring some kind of wealth to your kids, I think the, uh, the UTMA is the best choice. That's why it is named Uniform Transfers of uh, Minus Act. So you are just pretty much transferring assets from, from you to your child. So that's just the gist of it. And that's just a good uh, summary of what the differences are between those two. If you're saving for college, then the 529 gives you more advantages when it comes to taxes. But maybe your kid doesn't want to go to college. Maybe your kid just wants to, you know, have a, a, a different profession or, you know, take some courses online and whatever your goals are, then that, in that case, the 529 doesn't give you as much advantage when it comes to taxes. But the Atmer is just probably the way to go. So there's pros and cons to each of those. Yeah, definitely. And just to um, put out our disclaimer out there again, we are not financial advisors. Everything that we are saying here, these are just things that we do on our own and we're just sharing it with you guys. So what we say over here, do not take it as a financial advice. Just take it as some kind of entertainment. And it's just us, you know, um, talking about some of the things that we do. Everything that we talk about here are things that we do in our lives, 529s, we do have 529s for our kids. Uh, custodial accounts like the Atma, you know, we do have that also. So it's just us telling you what we do, but it's, it's not any form of uh, investment advice. So let's move on to the next question that we've been getting lately. We have talked a little bit about life insurance in one of our episodes, and mm. I got a lot of questions. Okay, which one is which? Which Do I go with the term? Do I go with the whole life? Uh, what's the difference? Where can I find these life insurances? Can I get them through my work? Can I get them uh, outside of work? Let's talk about this a little bit, Pa. Maybe I can start and then I'll hand, you, hand it over to you yeah, uh, without hugging onto these, uh, to, the, to, the, to the microphone. But term life insurance is pretty simple. Term life has com two components. You have the premium that you pay and the debt benefits that is paid back to your beneficiaries when you die. Basically, that, those, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for... And insurance, like your car insurance, if you're, if you're paying a car insurance, when something happens to your car, the insurance pay you back the money. And life, term life is simply the same way. You pay a term premium. And most people have these terms. I think you explained it better. Like you were looking at your youngest kid's age and calculating how much, how old your youngest kid would be at a, uh, at, a, at 20 years from that, and then you'd pick the 20-year term. 
So if you're looking at it that way, you can pick 15, 20, 30 year term, term insurance. And if you do die within that period from when you sign the term life to the term limit, then your beneficiary gets the debt, debt benefit from their insurance company that is kind of like a replacement for your income and not a replacement for you because uh, you know you <laughs> they can't replace you right. but they, it, it kind of like makes uh, makes up for your income so basically that's the gist of term life insurance and it's recommended 10 to 12 times your annual income so if you're earning fifty thousand dollars a year you probably are recommended to have a term life insurance of five hundred thousand to six hundred thousand dollars. Yes, and I think I mean term life, just like we talked about during our other episode. I believe that every responsible parent or every responsible head of household should be able to have a term life, because like we talked about, there's hundred percent chance that we are all gonna die, but we do not know when. And that's when this comes into place. Being a head of a household and having kids who are under the age of 18, 21 or so, who are totally dependent on you, uh, I think it's, it, it, is, it is the right thing to do that if you're not here anymore, at least you leave them something that they'll be able to fall back on. If you happen to leave a spouse here too, uh, whether it's the man or the woman, having that money will um, bring them a lot of closure also if you're not here anymore. But the thing about it is that just like we talked about the last time is that um, it's not something that you have to have for the rest of your life. It's called term because the term is going to expire. Let's say you buy for 10 years or 15 or 20 or so. So that's why it is called term. And for the most part, I mean, if you are very responsible with money, after the term is finished, you should be able to at least accumulate enough wealth to be self-insured by the time um, that term expires. Let's, let's say right now, I bought a 20-year term life. I'm hoping that by the time my 12-year-old now turns 25, I mean, which is like another, what, 13 years or so, I'm hoping that at least at that time, we should be able to accumulate enough that we can be self-insured. If not, I mean, we can buy another term maybe, kind of hold it in case, you know, one of us is not here anymore. So, I mean, that is just the benefit of having term life. I'm not sure whether you want to touch whole life uh, insurance, uh, let, AJ. Let, let's stay on term life for a little bit. Okay. Um, looking at my situation, I have a four and a half year old who's my youngest. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if I'm going to get term life today, I'm looking at her age and say, well, see, hopefully by the time she's 25, which in about 20 years, let's say she'll be almost 25. If anything happens to me before then, that means I, if I get a 20 year term, by that time, they will be able to replace my income if anything happens to me uh, between now and 20 years from now. And what that does for me, I feel like, yes, you said every responsible head of household and all of that stuff, it's right. But if they want to pay the mortgage and I'm not here, if they want to pay the bills, if they want to be able to, um, you know, eat and, you know, um, use their transportation and all these stuff that they need 
and don't forget their sports and all these activities. That's what that money is for. So the recommended 10 to 12 times your annual income, if you're making, for example, $100,000, I gave the $50,000 earlier. If you're making $100,000 and you have a $1.2 million term life insurance and they pay that out if you do die, your spouse can invest that money and with mm-hmm. making 1.2, making uh, 8% a year, they can pretty much easily replace your income. And that's what the, basically the gist of the term life insurance is. The other thing is it's cheaper. That's pretty much the thing about term life insurance. And the earlier you get it, the better it is. The earlier you get it, the cheaper it is also. So just make sure that if you're planning on having kids or if you already have a kid, just try to look into it. There are so many online marketplaces that you can look at to be able to, you know, get a good rate. And if you are in the process of getting it also, please compare rates. Don't just go to one place only and just take whatever they offer you. They, For the most part, they are very, very cheap. I mean, uh, I got mine about six years ago or something like that. And it is very, very, very cheap. I pay less than $20 for it. So that's just how cheap it is sometimes, you know, but the earlier you get it, the better it is. So the other part of the question was, where can you get these term life insurance? Should you get it from your job? Should you get it outside your job? And let's talk about that a little bit. Right now, I have my term life through job. And there's pros and cons to that. Right now, it's cheap. It's cheaper. And they just take it out of my paycheck. And I don't even feel the pain. But you can also get term life insurance from outside insurance brokerages like uh, Policy Genius, um, Xander Insurance. They're not sponsoring this episode, but those are just two that came to mind. And you can just look around the internet and compare rates and see what they cover. Basically, you can get them through your job or you can get them outside your job. And one of the cons of getting them through your job is if later down the road you get sick with a certain disease that you're not qualified to have any more term life insurance. Let's say you have cancer or you got a certain chronic disease that you don't qualify for term life and you only have it through your job. If you do leave your job, that term life insurance goes with your job. And that means that you cannot have term life outside your job anymore because of your, your illness and also you're leaving your job. So that's just something to think about. If you're having it through your job, I am actually looking into this. I'm looking into getting term life insurance also outside my job to mitigate that, that issue of just having your term life just through a job. But there are so many places that you can go to and shop around for term life insurance. They're usually the cheapest and they're usually the ones that are not being pushed to you by salespeople. That is true. And you can also check with uh, whatever insurance company you have, whether it's your homeowner's insurance, whether it's your car insurance, renter's insurance, you can check with that insurance company also and see if they can find you a better deal as well. Yeah, let's talk about whole life for a little bit. So whole life is dif- a little different from term life insurance. So basically, term life has the premium that you pay and that benefit. Whole life has three components. Okay, so you pay the premium. You have the debt benefit that is paid out to your beneficiary when you die, but you also have 
what's called the cash value. This is like mm -hmm. a savings inside of this insurance package. So obviously you pay more for this insurance package than the term life insurance. But if you do decide at some point that, hey, I want my money back or I want my cash value back, you get some money back, whatever is in your cash value, which is, they put it, usually the salespeople are telling you, oh, it makes, makes 10 to 12% a year. Well, technically it doesn't. So what happens is you're paying more for this insurance. The part of it is going towards your debt benefit, which is what you're paying for, which is the insurance. If you die, they pay, pay that amount to your beneficiary. But a big chunk of that is, is being, you are being told that it's going into cash reserves or investment. But initially, it goes into commissions to the salespeople, and it goes also into uh, uh, funding the debt benefit that you that you are paying for, and then a little bit of it keeps accumulating in the cash reserve as your uh, whole life in investment part of it. So once when you look at it between term life insurance and whole life insurance, for every seven dollars that you pay in premium. For a term life insurance, you pay about $100 in premium for a whole life insurance. And Pa, we can dive deep into what the difference is and how you can use the difference and invest it and get a better rate of return. Uh, but basically, that's what it is. If you're paying, like you're paying $20 for your term life insurance, you probably expect to pay $280 or $300 for that same amount in whole life insurance. But some of that money is going into investment and that's what the salespeople tell you. If you do need the money, you can pull it back. But it's not that easy. You have to cancel the, whole, the insurance to pull that mm -hmm. money back. So that's, that's, that's where they get you. Yeah, I think you pretty much covered that. I mean, it's way more expensive than term life. And I mean, the only benefit to it or the, or the only advantage to it is that you get to have insurance for your whole life so you wouldn't have to worry about i mean if this policy expires and that kind of stuff you pretty much have a whole policy for your whole life so i think that's the only advantage to whole life insurance but it is very very expensive and i do not mess around with that i really yeah. don't another benefit is if you do cast it out it's tax-free up to what you put into it so right Except right. if you put it, if you get more, then you you pay taxes. But up to what you put into it, it's uh, tax free. But let let me just take it because I'm a numbers guy. I like numbers. Let's just take mm -hmm. a look at this. For someone who says, "Hey, I have insurance. I want insurance, and I can pay two hundred and eighty dollars for life insurance. So I have the option of paying twenty dollars or twenty one dollars a month for a term insurance." for this certain amount, or I have the option of paying 280 for the same amount. So the investment part, if you take a look at that, the difference is $260. And you can invest that on your own and get a much, much better return at the end of your term by just going with the term life instead of the whole life. So that's, that's where it comes in. But they also tell you that, you know, the investment is built into it, but the, return is lower and also the 
they, uh, it's more expensive, way more expensive. So it outweighs the benefit for me. Yeah, for the most part, I mean, just for the sake of simplicity, that's why I just do the term life. It's more simple for me and it's more easy to understand, you know, less expensive as well. So that's why I do go with the term life. And I'm not giving anybody any kind of investment advice here, but I'm just saying for me personally, I do have a term life and I do not mess around with whole life insurance. And the final question is, what do you do with your 401k when you leave your job? Well, for the most part, there are four things that you can do with that money. Um, and we will go through all four of them. And AJ, as you know, I mean, most people switch jobs all the time. And this is a very, very common question. And I think we've had it asked more than one time. So yeah. uh, trying to answer this question, I think it's very, very uh, vital uh, for the uh, for the audience to try to listen properly. So like I said, there are four things that you can do with this account. One of them is just leave it there at your previous employer's 401k plan or 403b plan. The other one is you can move it to your new employer's 403b plan or 401k plan. The third one is to open a uh, an IRA. It can be a traditional, it can be a Roth but we will get into that a little bit because it's not just that simple and transfer the money there. Or you can just call your previous employer and just let them send you a check, cash it out, go on a vacation at the Maldives Island and enjoy yourself. <laughs> and that last one that you said, Pa, you remember I have done that. I, uh, that was one of my biggest financial mistakes I've done is when I uh, moved from Georgia, I cast out my 401k that I had over there. Granted, it was not that much money. It was less than $3,000 in there. A third of it was gone by the time I got the check. And what I do think about now is, can you imagine what that money would have looked like right now mm -hmm. if yeah. I had left it there, which is like, what, 15, 16 years ago? So mm -hmm. for 15 or 16 years, since I withdrew that money, if it was still in the market making, you know, 10 to 12% or 8% to be more realistic, it would have been a lot more than that $3,000 or even the less than $2,000 that I got after fees, after penalties, after taxes. So I've done that part and I am very big opponent of doing that right now. That's because right now I know more and I have more information. But yeah, let's talk about um, leaving it at your um, previous job. So that, that, that is easy. You do nothing. You know, you do nothing. You just leave your job and say, they keep my money and invest it where it is. But what you got to consider is um, fees for that uh, 401k. You can consider the investment that it is in. If it's not in so much so good investment that you have to, if they're charging high fees, then also you have to consider other options in moving it somewhere else rather than leaving it in there. But basically you got to consider that there's money out there and you left it with your previous employer. Well, whoever manages their 401k, but you're not adding any more contribution to it. And considering their fees and their investment options, if they don't have very good investment options or if they have high fees, you might want to consider a different option than just leaving it at your old job. 
just for the benefit of the doubt, let's let's say they have very good um, they have very good options. Okay, they have very good options. When you were there, your investments were doing good and everything was growing. But what was making it grow is not there anymore. It's that money that you were putting in into that account. So now you are not putting any money into that account now. For any account to grow and for you to build wealth, it's most, it mostly has to do with the contributions that you are putting in there. It's not just the growth, but the money you are constantly putting there, that's what, that is what makes the difference. So now you have lost that now because you're not at that employee anymore. So that is better than one thing though. It's better than you taking that money out and them giving you a check and you putting that money inside a savings account because that savings account is not going to give you anything. At least that money there, at least you're getting seven, eight, 10, 11% from it. So those are the pros and the cons of still leaving that money with your previous employer. So now we can go to the second one now, which is, or are we in the third one or we are in the second one? Um, uh, the, I the, think we've already talked about taking the money out and them sending you a check and you go to the Maldives Island and enjoy yourself. <laughs> right? <laughs> we have talked about that. That was the, that was right. the last, uh, last option, but we started with that. <laughs> okay. Well, that was... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the next one will be opening a brokerage account with uh, one of these brokerage firms, Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, or any of these other guys, where you will be able to open um, an IRA. I'm not going to specify which one. You can open an IRA. It can either be Roth IRA or it can be a traditional IRA. Now, what I did for me when I left my first job, well, what happened was I had two accounts when I left. I had a 401k, no, it was a 403b, and I also had a Roth 403b. So I'm not there anymore. So now I have to open a Roth IRA where I can transfer the Roth 403b. And then I had to open a traditional IRA where I transferred the 403b. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's not too confusing. You know, so that's what I did with that one. The advantage with that is that, just like I said with the previous one, you don't have that access anymore to be able to contribute money to that account anymore. But now with this one, you have that option now, or you have that power now to be able to contribute money towards it. The only advantage with the traditional is that you get more choices with your investments now. You can choose from the whole market now if you want to have that money invested in index funds, ETFs, individual stocks, mutual funds. So you have access to the whole market now and you can choose whatever you want rather than what whatever your employer was giving you at your previous job. So I'll stop there, AJ, because I kind of feel like I'm kind of getting too technical with this and I'll just let you simplify it. It's beautiful that you are able to share this experience that you have already had by rolling over your Roth 43B as well as your traditional 43B outside of your previous employer. I have done similar to that besides pulling the money out that was 16 years ago. Later on, I had a 401k that didn't have that much money 
in it and I was able to roll it over to a raw 401k, which is a little bit more technical and a little bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. But basically, you're taking tax-free money and you're rolling it over to, uh, you're taking pre-tax money, I'm sorry. You're taking pre-tax money and you're rolling it to post-tax money. And what that does is it generates taxes when you file your taxes. So I paid yes. the taxes out of pocket without paying the taxes from the 401k. So I paid the taxes out of pocket when I cast, uh, when I uh, uh, did my taxes that year or the following year. So that's a beautiful option to, to have is to be able to roll your 401k to uh, um, an IRA or a Roth IRA outside of your job. And the beautiful thing with that is you don't have to deal with the uh, the only only the investments that are available in your 401k you have the whole stock market to open to you that you can invest in pretty much anything in the stock market we're not we're not advocating for just going and buying anything obviously we would i would i put mine in index funds which is what i believe to be long term investment but basically it's an option to have that you have the whole stock market open to you and you control the fees. You can, and that's the beautiful thing about rolling it over to an IRA outside your job. But here's the one thing that, that could be a con is that if you're not too investment savvy, if you don't know much about investment and you roll it outside your job, it's up to you now to learn how to invest that money. You don't mm -hmm. have these investment that are already picked for you to just choose one. Now you got to do your own research. Now you got to find out which investment fund I need to put it in while I'm going to buy stocks, mutual funds, bonds, whatever. Now you get to do your own research. And that's what's beautiful for me is that it's fun to do, to, to, uh, to look at that and say, Hey, I have control and I, I am a little bit investment savvy and I can, do my own research and invest it in the ETFs or index funds that I feel are best for me. But if you're not that investment survey, you would have to do your own research. But what, what's fun right now, though, Far, is that there's a lot of accounts that you can have that have robo-advising. You know, Charles Schwab is coming with that. You got M1 that you can pick pies and you got Betterment. All these investment places that basically ask you a few questions. What's your risk tolerance? Do you want it to be aggressive or do you want it to be less aggressive? And then it would make the, it would make the options for you to, to um, it would make an investment uh, advice based on those questions that you answered. Mm -hmm. So it's not as complicated as, as it sounds and it's not as hard, but you will have to do a little bit of work because you're, you're, you're rolling it outside of your job. Here is how you do it. What you do is you get in contact with your previous employer. You get in contact with their human resource office. But uh, it should be the, the human resource office because I was thinking about payroll, but I think payroll is also under human resources. Yeah, payroll. It would probably be right. benefits office, which is part of human resources as well. Exactly. So you get in touch with those guys and then also get in touch with you, whatever brokerage you want to open this account with. And what you will do is you will ask them to do a direct rollover to the new account. 
don't tell them to send you a check. If that check comes to your home, you're asking for trouble because the IRS is going to come after you. Okay. So let them do a direct rollover. They may ask you some questions and they may ask you account numbers and all of that, that kind of stuff. So make sure you have all of those ready. So after that, it's now between the two of them. Now it does take a little bit of time. Sometimes, you know, it takes like three to five business days, you know, or uh, five to 10 business days and that kind of stuff. So this is how you do it. It's pretty simple. There's nothing complicated about it. Just get in touch with your previous employer's HR and this new account that you just open and let them take care of it by doing a direct roll- rollover. Uh, if you want to add anything to that, AJ. The way you did it with rolling it outside of job is that the same way that you would roll it to your current employer as well? For the most part, um, that's what you would do. And that is the next thing that we were going to talk about. That if you leave that job and now you are at this new job now, you can just go ahead and set up a new retirement account with your new job now and then roll over the previous job's retirement fund to the new job. And that's also a direct rollover also. Don't ask for a check. Don't let them send you anything. Just let the two, two employers, uh, Human Resource Office, deal with it so that it will be less complicated for you. So um, I've never done that option. I've always do a direct rollover to a brokerage account where I will have total control over it because the other disadvantage with this other one that we are talking about right now from one employer to another employer is that with the employers, they have very limited investment options. So you are at the mercy of whatever they have. So, and for the most part, they usually mutual funds. And, you know, these come with uh, like a lot of fees, like just like we talked about uh, in our previous episode. So if there's anything you want to add to that, AJ? And another disadvantage with that is that you may be moving it from an employer who has better investment options than uh, to another one that has not so good investment options and higher fees. So you got to consider the fees and the investment options of your current job your current jobs for 1k where you move in this money to uh the good thing about moving it there though is that you have all this money in one place and you're contributing more to that same 401k in your current job so you can have it all consolidated in one place and even maybe in the same account but it gives you a good start also that helps with compound interest. So if you start this new job and just transfer 10,000 to it, and now you are adding money to that 10,000 every month, that's something that's uh, really positive, you know, hoping that they have very, very good, you know, investment options. Yeah, um, this is fun, Pa. It's fun to, um, to actually be asked these questions and be able to talk through it and also share our experiences with these topics. Like you said, your experience about leaving your fr- former job and coming over to another job and also moving your 401k, 403b outside to a, to your own IRA 
and these are fun topics. And if anyone is listening and wants to send us a question, uh, just email us at fitalkpodcast at gmail.com. fitalkpodcast at gmail.com is where you can email us these questions and we will try our best to answer your questions. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to wherever you're listening to this episode and also consider giving us a five-star review. And um, also, if you feel like you have family or friends that could benefit from an episode like this, maybe they have questions about life insurance or they have questions about kids, Rob Fire or uh, the Atma versus the 529 or, or, or even 401k, you can please share this episode with them and that would probably help them out a lot. And until next time, I'm AJ from the FI Talk podcast and my co-host, Park. All right. You guys have a good one.